When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All righty then. We got another episode of Hockey Royalty Live, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com. We are talking about our Kings, our favorite Kings jerseys, the release of Chell 24 and the middle six forwards. How does that shape out? Where were their deficits last season? How do they shape up this next season? So get in the chat, like, and subscribe. Uh, Let's go. All right, guys. Thank you, guys, everybody in the chat. Some people here early. Appreciate it. CJ coming in with good evening, everyone. Noah, howdy. Hope everyone is having a great night. Noah, I believe if this is uh, the Noah I'm thinking of, he's my friend from Texas. Uh, met, him as my, met him at the first Kings game I ever went to here in uh, in Dallas. Oh, nice. We've been friends ever since, so welcome in. Topanga, hello, hello. Go Kings, go Al Smith. Yay, it's almost time. Howdy, y'all. Let's go hit that like button. Appreciate that, Al. Uh, like your life depends on it, man. Frantically hitting that like button. <laughs> Shake Master's like, what's going on? How's everybody doing? Go Kings, go. Yeah, I know we were one minute late. Uh, Joe was telling him, us all about how his Everton team sucks. And so we had to wait for that to hit the hit the broadcast button. But we are here now. Uh, let's uh, let's go. Let's get into it. But before we jump, dive right in, I can't ask. I cannot ask how my co-hosts are doing. So Russ and Joe, how are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Yeah, we're uh, a couple more weeks away to uh, – Rookie face-off, and then right around starting training camp. Right after that, so we're getting there. Yeah, not too bad. I'm, I'm. I don't know if you guys are like this at all. I like there gets to certain parts of the year where. So I'm a big. We've talked about before, like fantasy sports and stuff like that. I'm, I'm huge fantasy baseball, so I'm like all in on approaching fantasy baseball playoffs. That like, I, with the exception of like the Premier League is starting up, Italy starts up this weekend, but like the Kings. And while the Yankees are an abomination, but the Kings are like, I still, it hasn't hit yet. It hasn't like clicked. It's still August. But then once it does, it it's full force. Like that's all I think about is, is high. And then like baseball is a total afterthought. Like they don't even consider it a thing until, and then it went, but when it's in, it's like all in it's I'm weird that way. Like I go kind of up and down. It's like, nothing is half-assed. Like when it's in, it is in. And like, I've been just so tuned out of hockey really all summer it's been weird but hmm. i don't know especially I no the Yankees going the way they are oh inside of the dodgers kind of doing pretty well Can't go yeah oh yeah absolutely but, i mean i think it's a lot of there's so much for me i mean i'm kind of the opposite i just can't wait for i mean just been thinking about hockey and i think a lot of it is because the anticipation of this season coming up for the kings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like shiny new toy, obviously in PLD. So there's so much under the weight. I'm just ready for that puck to drop against Colorado and crypto. Yeah. But how are you doing, Brandon? Outside of this coffee attack, it just came across me pretty good. Um, <laughs> yeah, just prepping for for Europe in October. So you know, getting the hotels going, getting the agenda going down. Waiting for those Real Madrid tickets to go on sale, so I can make sure I get some of those. But uh, other than that, just working. My parents were in town this last week, uh, so that was fun just to see them for a little bit. But, you know, I don't really have any other sports right now. I mean, I could care less about the A's, you know, with what's going on with them. I guess football, spring training's gone. Or not spring training, but training camp is gone. But I'm so sick of the quarterback controversy there or, or quarterback dilemma or whatever you want to call it that I'm just kind of tuning out at training camp, which I'm not used to doing. 
So yeah, it's just kind of different. I've been watching a lot of sports documentaries. That Johnny Manziel one was pretty pretty crazy. Um, you know, just all the stuff that he did and and kind of like the whirlwind that that was for just that five year period of time, mm-hmm. and then just completely gone out of the universe and the estimations of what he would have made in this modern area of football, as far as with the NIL deals and stuff like that, like oh, yeah. they sold like $58 million worth of number two jerseys and like, you know, all this kind of stuff like that. And then now with he had the whole like, money thing with his hands and all that. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the this. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was just crazy. Like what would have happened and like what he could have made at that level, but just kind of the way he flamed out. And then just, just interesting how there's been, no backlash yet from the NCAA about his Heisman yet. They still haven't given Reggie Bush his Heisman back or they said they wouldn't. So it's just pretty crazy. Cause he openly admitted to signing like thousands of autographs and taking money and, and all this kind of yeah. stuff in the documentary. Yeah. So uh, it was just interesting. And I think that's kind of like where I've been just like the sports documentaries really just kind of catching up with the, the history of different things. You know, I want to see Wrexham season two. I think that comes out here pretty soon. Did you watch uh, the first one? Did you watch Wrexham the first one? Yeah, I did. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. I So I got one more episode. We, my wife and I got one more episode to watch. And then that's, yeah, the, the second one's coming out in what, a month? I'm not 100% sure. I know it's the end of the summer. Yeah. I think it's September 12th, I want to say. So just, a, you know, a little pan and a little everything. So that's what I kind of been, I've been doing there. So let's jump right in, guys. We are talking about our favorite Kings jerseys here to start it out. Um, and so, you know, I haven't been a fan for too long, so there's only really been one jersey in my fandom. But talk about, you know, you did an article on it, Russ. Talk about your favorite jerseys and kind of where you went with this. Yeah, I just I threw out that tweet the other day. Just kind of get the vibe out there, see, get, get a little feel of what the fans were thinking before we started talking about this. And I don't know if you guys saw the tweet, but the four mm-hmm. pictures I used, the four jerseys, the, to my, in my opinion, these are the top four jerseys in the Kings history. And I left out like the early staged jerseys with the form blue and yellow, just because I, I think the reverse retro jerseys just top them. And they're pretty much the pinnacle of what, what you can get to it at the, with those colors. So what I, what I had was the two reverse retro jerseys. The, I believe it was 1998, I want to say, is when they adopted that uh, shield crest uh, with the line with the sunglasses jersey. I mean, I freaking love that one. And then the the chevron with the, the silver or the white and black. I think I, I just really like the white, the way the white looks at, with that logo. So I used the white color. But So for me, it was these were the top four jerseys, in my opinion, that the Kings have worn. And if I had to rank them, just to kind of answer my own question that I asked people, was I would go... Reverse Retro 2.0, that's my favorite jersey by far. I love the white. I love the old school crown logo, the colors, obviously. Everything looks so good with that jersey. And then right after that, I'd go with the white and black 90s era jersey, Gretzky era, with with the Chevron logo. That would be my number two. Number three, I'd go with the Reverse Retro 1.0s, the purple ones. And or form blue, I should say, and with then, the with the with the with the Chevy logo. With saying? the Chevy logo, yeah, okay. that would be my number three. And then number four, I'd go with the um, the shield crest kind of kind of logo that that uh, was a two thousands era <laughs> shared with Rob Blake as the captain. Uh, I, I just really love that logo, and I think that that kind of color scheme kind of works too. But what what do you think, Joe? What do you what do you got going on? <laughs> it's funny when when you first threw that out, I was like. I actually kind of think that late nineties up until what, 2010, 11 or whatever, when they switched to was probably the worst era of uniforms for me, for the Kings. I never, maybe now looking back, looking back, I think I like it a little bit better than I did at the time. I did not like it. I've, so I've always been a, I've just loved the old school, the 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 form form blue. So again, forgive everybody. I'm colorblind. I don't know if it's purple, form blue, whatever you want to call it. I love those ones though. So it's what's hard for me to separate out is which one do I like the best? The yellow, the the yellow mane, or or the form blue mane. But I love the imperial crown. That's the best logo they've had. The yeah. best crown is the old school imperial for me, the imperial crown. But I'm with you, Russ. That. My number one favorite jersey is the most recent white version of that. Because I always, as a kid, you see all those, you see the the the, the form blue, you see the gold. I always wanted a white, and they delivered it. And I was like, this is, ex- this is perfect. This is the perfect jersey. 
So that's number one for me. So I don't know if I want to lump in the rest of like all of Forum Blue, like that whole set. Like if it was that's kind of how I felt when I so I mean it's kind of this, hard this, to differentiate. It right? is, it is, but they would be one for me. Mm-hmm. That whole that whole era. Number two would be '90s um, Gretzky Kings, the black and silver. Now, what was interesting though about that era? I'd love a solid third jersey in that era. And we really didn't have one unless you want to count the Burger King jersey. Uh, <laughs> because like I feel like if you had a, a legit third, maybe maybe you could turn like your the era that you like there, Russ, and make that a purple and a totally different for that with those. That would kind of be a unique set because it was just mm-hmm. the black and white. There really wasn't third jerseys back then, but I loved though that one would be two, and and to me there's like a a big drop to number three, and I don't I don't have a good like even feel for it because I didn't I don't love any of them the rest of the way, um, but I guess if I had to pick solely because they won the cup in them, you know the the basically the jerseys they wear now, but I really don't like these. I think the logo is yeah. atrocious. It's a terrible logo. Uh, crest that is on the front, and but I didn't love the, the era before this either, so it's been a rough go in terms of Kings jerseys for me to be honest with you. I haven't loved them, so this is why I'm I'm adoring these reverse retros that they've done. They look fantastic mm-hmm. when they do those. So uh, I don't know. I would say, like I said, I'm I'm all in on the 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 um, foreign blue and gold. I love the early '90s because I like that logo better. Because obviously the, the color scheme is similar nowadays than it was to then, right? But the logo is so, so, so much better. And I would like to see if there's a way they can mix in a third to that. Be That'd be that'd be fantastic. But, Randa, what do you think? Yeah, I've really only had one jersey to choose True. from in my, in my fandom, you know. And so uh, I don't mind the current ones. It's just the ones that I grew up watching yeah. or I, I guess started watching the team in. So there's really nothing to compare it. But – when the reverse retros came out, that was like I needed I needed to get these. Like it was just something there, and and so there's really not much for me to go on. But I want to ask you guys, like, when is it usually like when is there enough time like in between rebrandings? Like when does it get time to? I mean, you're not the Red Wings, you're not mm-hmm. you know the Blackhawks. Yeah. So when is there a time for a rebranding amongst an organization? Like after a decade, when- how does that? How does that normally work? Or well, it's that- been like I would say maybe like 10 years or so, 10, 15 years. I mean, it's all it's all random, right? Or all all depends on the situation. I, I wrote an article last year talking about the situation, how I feel like the Kings just need to go back to the form blue and gold, just color scheme, just as yeah. in, in whole. I mean, that color scheme is just so much better than black and silver or black and white or whatever. And so I don't know, I guess it depends by team. It's been what they changed like 2010. Like it's weird to see photos of Drew Doughty and like Dustin Brown wearing that purple, yeah. purple jersey, right? With the crown. And I, I hate that crown logo. I don't know. It just felt so boring to me. It was just I don't which know. One? I, I never really Sorry, which crown logo? The, the one right before the, the jersey right before this one. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. a plain crown. It's not the old school looking yep. one. I'm never a fan of that. No. But you know what yeah, would be cool so, know, to see? What would be cool to see if they had the, the color scheme they have now, but with the Imperial crown logo. Yeah. Like that would be a cool, cause I don't, I don't necessarily have anything again. If they if they like, if they really want to stick with the black, white and silver, like that's just the thing. That's what we're going to be. We're the Kings. That's what we're going to do. We'll throw in the, the, the form blue and gold from time to time on special nights and stuff. But we are going to be like, if that's the thing, Boy, they got to get a different logo. And I think a, a, like a cool, like the the logo, the crown from the purple the in, in gold, that I think could mm-hmm. could look could Because I agree, I don't like that crown either. It's probably, I don't like that crown either. Now, let me ask you guys, because there's been some like stadium jerseys, the gray ones, the black yeah. and white ones, the black, white, and gray ones, which I've... Are any are those even remotely good to you guys? Those are some of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> the Dodger Stadium jersey was just oh, absolutely sweet Jesus, putrid. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I have no idea. Like, I just whenever they do gray, whenever they've done gray, because they've done so bad, like, 
when so, you play pickup hockey and someone comes out with a gray jersey, everyone's looking at you like, "What the hell are you doing, so, bro? Like, get a so black bad. or get a white. Like, let's figure it out here." Like, that's they always had those Saturday night gray jerseys too. Man, so bad. I just I couldn't stand them. The one I did like, I just the one that I guess I hated the least, or I actually kind of liked, was the one that they wore up in San Francisco when they played the Sharks. Um, I actually like kind of like that jersey. Which one was it, that? Now it's almost it's got a little gray on it, but the gray on more, top. Yeah, I don't mind that one. And the, and the one that they played in Colorado, like, I guess it was just, like, something different. But even then, it's like, I can't imagine they sold too many of those. It's just. I do. I did like the all-white gloves with those jerseys. Yes. The whole team with white the, gloves. The, that the, good. Speaking of, Brandon, the Chrome Dome's got to go. Got to go. They're kind of growing on me. What? <laughs> it's weird. They're kind of growing on me. I have to. I feel like it's like become so like such like a, a staple of the Kings now. Like they came out with these chrome down yeah. helmets. Now Vegas has their own. Like, but like obviously the Kings have at first, I believe. And yeah, I don't know. It's just I, I don't I, hate I, them. I guess I guess and I actually I, like those jerseys too. I mean, basically they're basically the '90s era, just with chrome logo. But a little and they're, yeah, they're a little bit of pizzazz to them. I, I can I I can live with it. I can live with it. I mean, it, I would yeah. take if you told me they were gonna wear those jerseys with the chrome domes instead of this home plate logo, I would take it. Actually, uh, I've <laughs> I remember being really really excited twenty years ago because I think it's been like twenty years, Russ, that they've had these. Uh, no, Lee pointed out to me that's been is it? 20 years. I think it's been so, uh, but I remember being like pumped because they were going to go back to there was like they they started because they first came out, it was a third jersey, remember at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was fired up to have the, the black and silver back, and then I saw the logo, I'm like, ooh, that ain't it. So I was hoping though, when they went to like a full time that they were going to change the logo somehow. Cause, because they have not only does the logo suck, they have the crown you don't like mm-hmm. right below yeah. it. It's like, this it's a double whammy of, of bad. So, but of course they win a cup and it's like, how are you well, going to change? The thing. So how do you change it now? Because they've won two cups with this. So what do you do? So I don't know. Like I, 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 as much I'm with you, Russ, I would absolutely go back to to the foreign blue and gold and then with the white so there's your three <laughs> white yeah. th- th- it's easy but again if 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 they are like dead set on change the logo go get get that old crown back at least to kind I'd of like marry marry the the old with the new i guess i'd like to see that combination the white and black with with that imperial crown on the front i think that'd be pretty sleek i kind of like I, i'd like to see i'd like to see it it can't be worse it just can't be worse than the logo they have now it just can't be yeah yeah, I just don't think they want to do the foreign blue and gold on a permanent basis with the Lakers it, in town. Like they, they wanted to st- distinguish yeah. themselves. Yeah, but so the story behind that is the Kings actually wore the foreign blue and gold yeah. first. Yeah, the, they originated that, and the reason it's called foreign blue is because Jack Can't Cook just didn't like the name purple, so he named it foreign blue. But the Kings wore that color scheme first, and then the Lakers came over. I believe he owned them owned both franchises. I want to say at the time. And so he adopted both. And that's another thing someone had pointed out to me too, is like, like I really appreciate the way the city of Pittsburgh does it, where just every team just has yep. the same color scheme. I, that's so cool. And I obviously it's so hard to do that right here, but I, I really appreciate that. I never noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it makes it easier to buy, cl- make, buy colors, you know, for the entire city. <laughs> it's good. Hey, yellow or black, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I can rock any game. Well, let's let's flip it over here to uh, Chell. So Chell twenty four is coming out. Uh, Russ, when is that? When's the release date on it? I believe it's October sixth. Um, they have an early access if you pre order or buy the X Factor edition on October third. But yeah, October sixth is. I believe that's the release date. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I believe that's it. Um, I. This is horrible. Breaking news. What? And maybe it doesn't ring as deep to you guys, but Buffalo Sabres, long time, long time legend, legend broadcaster, Rick Jenneret, Mayday, so many historic oh, calls has has passed away. Oh damn. Reported by Mike Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News. Holy God, I just I'm just not to interrupt, but I just happened to see that. And any hockey fans like go go back and listen to that guy's calls. I mean, he had a I bought his C D back in the day. It was a roll the highlight film. I mean legendary calls like just a one of the true characters of 
play-by-play that you just don't so many of these guys today are, are a little bit more cookie cutters unfair but like such personality such just an absolute legend and mm-hmm. yeah that, that sucks that's a, he was he was a, a, a staple out here in in western new york so tough tough dad that guy was a legend so, so anyways apologies no yeah i mean just kind of said, obviously we don't hear much of rick jenner we didn't hear yeah. much of him when he was announcing but when i did hear the highlights of the buffalo sabers you can just hear that energy and feel yeah. it so i can imagine legend um, for sabers fans it's tough to when was on. his last call uh he called uh his last game just a couple years ago uh because he's been splitting he split up and it was an overtime game too and i, I might have been a casey middlestat an overtime winner was his last call but man you go back and he had like these catchphrases la 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 fontaine for pat lafontaine go watch brad may scored in game uh, yeah. to, beat, to beat the bruins and back in the in the 90s may day made i mean his calls were were stuff of legend. I mean, you could get lost on YouTube watching, watching and listening to to some of the calls he had. I mean, he was incredible, incredible. So, rest in peace, Rick Jenner. So the new game's coming out. Russ, tell us a little bit about it. It looks like they're coming out with some new features, and if people who play Chell might be interested to hear about what's uh, what the new model is coming out like. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I'm I'm a big Chell guy i've been playing the series for years i don't want to age myself but it's been a while <laughs> since maybe like 96 97 i mean i love the game and, mm-hmm. and it's it's weird like those the last few years the game's been so bad it's been so bad especially really? last year and it's and it's funny because these new de- i don't know if they're new developers but they actually just recently came out with a video kind of highlighting some of the new features and where the direction of where this franchise is going to be going the next few years and they even dis- disclosed that they thought they knew they knew that last year didn't live up to the expectation expectations that a lot of fans were hoping for, and so they're pretty much telling everybody that they knew the game was crappy, and it was it was it was terrible. And I, I understand how it could be so hard for these sports franchise games, like any of them, like MLB, the Show, Two K, Madden, obviously, and, and like how it can be so hard to create a new game year after year when everybody is expecting it the anticipation is always going to be big they're looking for something better something bigger and so i i understand how that that can be hard to make it feel like an, a brand new game but for for nhl it just felt like it'd been the same game and cj's asking i play on xbox i play with the the new gen so there's a lot of anticipation a lot of actual like hype surrounding this the nhl 24 because there seems like they're, they're actually adding a lot more elements that will make it feel like a brand new game. Uh, one of the new elements they're adding is a sustained pressure system, I believe, or sustained, I, I forget what they actually called it, but what it is is that you keep, as long as you have offensive zone time, a little gauge will come up in the middle of the ice and will will kind of fill up. And once it fills up, then the energy of the opposing team or defenders starts to go down, the goalie starts to go down. So that's a new feature that kind of gets added. So I appreciate that. They're also adding icon passing, um, which they're calling, I believe, precision passing, which is pretty much you can just click a button and it'll pass to the it'll, each player is tied to a button that you can press, as opposed to just pressing pass and passing or pressing pass in a direction and hopefully it gets to the player you're looking for. So that's kind of a new feature. Uh, they're adding fit more physics based hits, and then also I I play a lot of the uh, EASHL game mode because uh, I have a bunch of buddies that I play with, so sometimes we'll play like six on six or whatnot. Uh, I, I play a defense, and so they're adding new game modes to that. So I'm, I just wanted to say, I just want to touch on this a little bit. I, I appreciate where NHL 24 is going, and it looks like it's going to be feel like a different game and a better game than it has been in the past. And I don't know, maybe if, it, if things go well and I, I have a little fun playing it, maybe I'll start streaming some games, some of our ESHL games, and talk some Kings hockey at the same time. So who knows? So, But I'm excited for it. I'm excited. I've been out of the loop. I was huge into NHL back in the day before it was called Chell. Uh, it was never called that when I played it, Russ. Um, a little like the new moniker now, I guess. Yeah, the the guys on our on the hockey team that I coach, I'll call it Chell. Uh, but I probably haven't. Honestly, it's probably been a good fifteen years, really, since college. Uh, I just haven't. I haven't played it much, but. 
Is there a team? I mean, I, I would say the Kings are obvious. Like, was there a team that you would try to do a season with or do something with that you always just ended up playing that wasn't the Kings? Or was it, or was it just always the Kings that you were? It was, it was pretty much always the Kings. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's funny because, like, a lot of the years, obviously, the Kings just weren't good. So, yeah, yeah. If you wanted a little bit more of a challenge, then you could, yeah, you can use the Kings. Yeah. And even when they were during the cup years, it's not like they ever had any real recognized superstars. Obviously, we appreciate Drew Doughty and Andre yep, Kopitar yep. a little bit more than others, but it's not like they're going to be the fastest video game players to use, like the Ovechkins with the shot yep. or whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, I'd always just appreciated using the Kings because it never felt like you were using some, like, OP team. Like, you're always yep. going to be the top best team to use. Like, if you're using the Chiefs and Madden or something like that. So, yeah, it's always it's always been the Kings screen. The go-to, this is going to surprise absolutely nobody, but and this is where it really all started with my Flames love, was the Flames. Like Mika Kiprasov, Martin Jelenas, Jerome McGinley, they had the one line. I used to love doing manual line changes, and I would, like, control everything. We used to, in college, we did a full season. Like, everybody played each other, like, four, five, six times. We did playoffs, Stanley Cup Finals, and with the Flames. Like, that was my team. I was the Flames. It was a blast. Um, Or... If I was just playing buddies randomly, I would be the Atlanta Thrashers. And Ilya Kovalchuk was incredible back then. <laughs> I would fire absolute missiles from the top of the left circle, and nobody could touch him. It was he was a blast to play with. So those were no, my guys. You that, I do, yeah, I do remember using uh, the Red Wings here and there for Datsu because I just yeah. if I if like at the time I would say Pavel Datsuk was probably my favorite non-Kings player, maybe besides Rick Nash. I think Datsuk. And Rick Nash, I just always loved watching those two play. And I mean, for me personally, I think Dotsu could go down as one of, like a top ten player in the NHL. I thought he was just—he's incredible. I thought he was underrated even yep. at his prime. Yep. Like people were talking about Ovechkin and Crosby. I'm like, no, it's like Ovechkin, Crosby, Dotsu. Like yeah. that's how good he is. I my favorite thing has always been uh, like creating my own teams. Mm-hmm. And like building a team up, yeah. like that's that's why my favorite sports video game of all time is the NCAA game, like the recruiting aspect, like building yeah. a team, taking Akron, yeah, yeah, taking Akron to the national championship and stuff. So like on the recent ones where it allowed you to create a thirty-second team in the NHL, that's what I found myself doing instead of building the Kings up. I because it's like we talk Kings so much on the <clears> podcast. <throat> I watched mm-hmm. so many Kings games. It was nice to have like. So like you created your own jerseys, you created your own stadium, you did all that kind of stuff like that, and that's what I enjoyed. And then you did a draft, and you built your team from the ground up, and and so that's kind of where I always went with it. Um, Love that too, Randy. Yeah, I never. Yeah. You know, weird is I never really dabbled into that, like the online franchise or GM oh. mode, yeah. or whatnot. I never really yeah, did my. I, that but i think a lot of people are are hoping for that russell's cutting it out yeah like my brothers and i would always get together and do the create a team create the jerseys and then it's like it would also was nice because then all three of us would take turns doing the minutiae stuff like you know like putting guys in and out of the injury thing or you know upgrading so it's like you know and then we'd get to a game and, I, you know, we always make up rules like, okay, let's play one game a month during the regular season. And then, you know, then we play the playoffs. And if, you know, we it's we only play the games for if we're going to eliminate or we're going to win the mm-hmm. series or if we're being eliminated. And so if we go down 3 we play all four games to, to win, you know, or vice versa. And so it was just kind of it was just kind of cool and. And then we always try to test ourselves. So, like, we'd start the first season, you know, just so we could raise that cup or whatever, not on rookie, but on the second one up. So it was fun. You know, you get your chops together and you play. Uh, and then after that, it's like you if you win the cup, you we boost it up. And we have to win a cup at that difficulty. And then I remember one year we won it at that second difficulty. So then it was on whatever the highest one is. And you're just getting absolutely railed. Like, and it was just, it was just so tough. Like you had to have the most loaded team ever and some luck to just even have a chance, you know? And, uh, but yeah, our favorite thing is like scouting players, getting the players scouted from different countries and making the right draft pick and getting an all, uh, all star. And like, that's our favorite, always been our favorite thing. That's why, especially the NCAA game is like the recruiting aspect is, 
was great. And that's why that game still sells. Like, I think it's a PlayStation 3 game. It still sells for like 50 bucks. Like, and it's just used copies of it. It's that like, was my favorite thing to do with like MLB the show back in the day was mm-hmm. I would pick a team with like a stadium that I liked or something like that, or the jerseys that I liked. literally just do what you did, like rebuild the roster, create a roster. I didn't even play the games. I just would simulate the season because I just, I loved the roster part of it. I love being a GM. I love doing the, the roster moves, the trades, the free agents, the negotiating in the off season, like, that was my favorite part. I hardly even played. Like if I wasn't playing against a, a buddy, I didn't have as much fun playing against like the you know simulation. I wanted to play against another person. If not, I was just simulating and doing the management piece. It was <laughs> I was like a nerd in that aspect. Yeah, always fun, always fun. Well, maybe we will. Joe, uh, Jose Garcia coming out here. We need to have an NHL hockey royalty stream. Maybe we'll maybe we get we'll drag Russell out and get him to watch watch him play online and, and uh, have you guys watch us with us before we get into the middle six uh, talk here about our roster. Uh, it's time to bring in our sponsor here at hockey royalty, which is DraftKings. So new customers download DraftKings Sportsbook, use call, promo code THPN bet $5 and, and to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So let's get into our our topic of the day. We've been going through the roster last week. If you missed the show, we did the the top line and the top uh, pair. This week we're doing the middle six. And so we why we're doing the middle six instead of doing offense and defense is that we think they're with PLD. We think there could be some uh, you know maneuvering around a lot of guys that maybe could play on the third and uh, second line depending on chemistry and how it goes out. Obviously, Deneau is going to move down and PLD is going to fit in that second line at center. But how does the rest of it shake out? We saw Fiala play in, in the top nine last year, depending on chemistry at times. I have a feeling we're probably going to see Arvidsson do the same thing this year from time to time. So it's going to be pretty crazy about how this shakes out. But the biggest addition for us, uh, obviously, everybody knows, we got a guy named Pierre-Luc Dubois in the offseason, boys. So he's going to shake things up in the middle six, starting out with a center. Uh, we expect him to play with Fiala to start. So let's start with that pairing. And we've talked about it a little bit on previous episodes about why we think they fit together. Uh, we also thought that about Kopitar. So who knows if it really is going to come together on the ice. But we think that the styles uh, stylistically they match up. And so, Joe, you want to start us off with that pairing or that that pair within the line. How do, how do you think they fare together as as a, as a partnership? And what can you expect to see from them next season? So first of all, I think you, what you said is a, a is is a really good point that you really never know how this shakes out. I think we all assumed Victor Arvidsson was going to play with Andre Kopitar when he came over. That didn't last long. All assumed that Kevin Fiala was going to play with Andre Kopitar when he came over. That didn't last long. Here we're assuming Fiala and Dubois are going to be a pair. Maybe not. We we, we it, it may not fit. We just don't know. The reason why I think it could is I think when you think of Kevin Fiala, you think of a guy that loves to possess the puck to the neutral zone, that loves to enter the zone with possession. Um, And you know what? So does Pierre-Luc Dubois. So per Corey Schneider's all three zones tracking, Pierre-Luc Dubois had a carry in the zone percentage of 78.5. Again, per the tracking, there's only three forwards in the NHL that were more than that. Braden Point, Jack Hughes and Kirill Kaprizov. That was it. He carried the puck into the zone more than Connor McDavid, more than on, on the percentage-wise per that tracking. So I think that's an interesting thing that that could we, that you could see two potentially just dominant players in terms of zone entries with possession. And when you think of those two guys, one of those two guys almost always entering the zone with the puck. And for that, for that matter, I think Fiala was like 77%, 76% in that, in that mid to high seventies range. So he was among the better ones in the league at doing so as well. So you could have two of the better players at carrying the puck through the neutral zone, carrying the puck into the zone and immediately setting up an offense. So it's a matter of you're talking about a team that was pretty good off the rush. You're going to have guys that are able to carry the puck in the zone. So who is that? who is their, that trigger man, if you will, on the line. And I think maybe that's why you can make the argument for Arthur Kaliev. It's probably not who I'd start there. I think it would be Arvidsson. But I think the reason why they could work, and Russ, I don't know if you if you agree, but you got two guys that 
that control the puck entering the zone mm-hmm. and control the neutral zone. And I, th- I think that can be really, really dangerous. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad Brandon mentioned that. I mean, last year, I think we we were talking about, I'm sure everybody assumed that it was going to be Kopitar and Fiala, right? And that yeah. that's obviously how it started, but it just didn't, didn't really work out long term. Um, so yeah, we have to take it with that co- this or that caveat with uh, Pierre Luc Dubois and uh, and Fiala this time mm-hmm. around. But I mean, if they can work out, which I think there's a decent chance that they will. Like like with everything Joe's talking about, two highly skilled players that played somewhat different styles, or would say probably very much different styles. And and Dubois, which he's known to be like a front of the net type player, and Fiala is going to be the guy who's going to be moving around, playmaking, all that good stuff, um, being creative along the boards, open ice. And if Pierre-Luc Dubois can kind of create havoc in front of the net, I think that sounds like a match made in heaven. And for me, if you're going to start Arvidsson on that side or any kind of shooter uh, with those two players, I think it works out. So I'm, I'm super excited to see. And, I mean, for the Kings, if, if this pair does work out, I mean, should be great, right? Because you already have that first line established with Kopitar, Byfield, and Kempe. And then we know how the the duo of Deneau and Moore – play well so well together um it seems like pretty much anybody can slide on that they're on that other other wing spot works pretty well so i mean the top nine it's funny because if you think about it like the the kings if you rank like the middle sixes in the nhl kings probably have one of the best if not the best middle sixes across the league i mean you when you have pierre dubois and phil deneau as your number two and number three centers and you can mix, mix and match them any way you please along with kevin fiala Victor Arvidsson, Trevor Moore, and whether it be Arthur Kaliev or pretty much anyone else at that that six spot, too. This this forward core, we we say it, we've said it so many times, but this forward core is looking so good, and I'm excited to see what PLD and Fiala can do together. I think Brandon has talked about it a few times throughout this summer about how important and how interesting a player Arthur Kaliev is, because mm-hmm. this is this is an opportunity for him. Like regardless of what line he's on, whether it's well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, if he gets the opportunity on the second or third line, it's an opportunity for him, you know. And I think it would be somewhat of a disappointment if if he couldn't crack that because, you know, you look at the shot contributions from last year. He's second on the team in shots, shot attempts per sixty. Like he he, you want that guy with a distributor, and I think that's why he kind of worked pretty good when with Blake Lazat at times because Lazat was a was a good distributor, but if you, if he can become a more consistent player at all three zones, this being Kaliev, then he can utilize that ability to get himself into shooting areas with, uh, again, whichever line it is, whether he's with Fiala, Dubois, Deneau, more, he's going to get scoring opportunities playing with those guys. These are all players that that are creative players, and especially Fiala. How many times have we seen? So, you, like, and I know we we I think I won't speak for Brandon. I know you, Russ, you just said, and I kind of agree. I think I would start Arvidsson up there, but man, you can make a case if if Kaliev can hold his own defensively, you can make a case that you've got. The, the way both Dubois and Fiala possess the puck entering the zone, and then especially Fiala, the way he possesses the puck in the zone, is, is able to create time and space and just hold that puck an extra second, half second, wait, wait, and then Kaliev can get open. You feed Kaliev, and he can fire a laser with Dubois with his heels at the top of the crease. Like, there's a lot. Like, you can see that happening. It's just, is, is Kaliev ready for that consistently, I think is is going to be the question. But mm-hmm. what's nice for McClellan is he's not, there's options. Like there's a lot of different options here. And let's be honest, maybe there's somebody that we're not thinking of. You know, we're we we we've kind of assumed the six guys that we've named as quote unquote middle six. Who's to say somebody doesn't crack that? Who's to say Carl Grundstrom doesn't get a spot up there just because of his work ethic that maybe he outworks. Uh, Arthur Kalia, for example, maybe somebody goes down. Maybe Samuel Fagimo has a just a camp that can't be ignored. I mean, there there is there's a there's an opportunity there for for others as well. While I, you know, I, I do think this is the most likely middle six. You just never know. Mm-hmm. Lead coming in here already saying I'm already mad that Kalia starting the season on the fourth line press box rotation with Grundy. He's uh, <laughs> just the seems seems like the T Mac doesn't want to give any uh, give us uh, what uh, what the fans want. But 
I, I think the pairing uh, or the pair of Fiala and PLD is interesting. And I kind of think that they're two black holes on the ice where players are being sucked in towards them as they're playing. You look at Fiala, possession of the puck on the, on the boards and on the wing, people follow them around and like you create holes and gaps in the ice. And that's why you're seeing, you know, the cross the ice sauce passes out of nowhere that he's able to find people on. And you have PLD, who's a big body in front of the net that's going to be pushing for, uh, you know defensemen out of the way or or getting in the way of the goalie. I think there's going to be – if you're making the case for Kaliev, obviously he's going to be the least looked at in that trio to, to keep an eye on, which means he's going to find soft spots of the defense, which is what he's really, really good he's at. He's good at that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So – I just don't. I just don't know if there's enough defense on that line to for them to be effective. Obviously, Fiala has taken a lot of penalties. Uh, he's not the most. He's. It's not the effort that I worry about. It's just the, the defensive acumen. And so, if PLD is going to have to carry that line defensively. And is he strong enough to do that? I'm not so sure. So then, does Kaliev go to the point of two years ago where he was a very good? Um, defensive player. Granted, he was playing fourth line minutes, or is it the is it the Kaliev that we saw to the end of last season? To where there's going to be a lot of counter opportunities against that that offense, right? You're going to get both players down low. There's going to be a lot of counter shots there. Where I think Victor Arvidsson is is good defensively enough to where it, he wouldn't be a liability on that line. Where Kaliev playing on the third line with Dano and Moore, who are defensively sound and also decent playmakers i think that would be the better line for him. I, i'll tell you and i'm i'm, I'm already lieb's gonna want to gonna want to hang up i think after i say this like boy <laughs> talk about spreading out offense if we we have we talked about the top line that we think will stick together with kopitar byfield and uh kempe if you've got dubois and fiala together you got to know more together whether Arvidsson's up on that second line boy like is it the worst thing in the world to come with a fourth line that has Lazat and a lethal scoring threat of Arthur Kaliev like you could potentially have an Arthur Kaliev get double digit goals on the fourth line and could Samuel Fogimo play with P, uh, uh, Phil Deneau and Trevor Moore like I feel like those two guys can Anybody can join that line with those the way those two play and and make it effective. Like, there's a part of me that's thinking like, boy, I think Lazat and and Kaliev is a really good duo. Like, you, you could have a scoring threat on every line. I, I don't hate that either. I know it's like it maybe sucks for Kaliev, but boy, I I, I don't hate that. No, we I talked mean, about it quite a I bit, agree. and yeah, we talked about it quite a bit, and I think that he doesn't have to be on the second line to be effective for this roster. Mm-hmm. He just has to get continuous power play time yep. in order mm-hmm. to do so. And that's where I think that his, his lot's going to shine because they took him off the power play like halfway through the season and he was leading the team in power play goals. And I, I don't know if it was just a, like a penalty type thing. He was in the doghouse, um, you know, what have you, or if it was just the flat out his play on the ice. But I mean, he's a, he's lethal, you're not playing defense on the power play. You're you're sitting him on that dot, and he's just rifling, rifling shots yeah. left and right. And and that's why I think I don't think it's a horrible th- I thought to have him on the fourth line with Lazat. Well, that 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 last spot that we're talking about that we're kind of penciling in Kaliev in that middle mm-hmm. six position. That's going to be that's a that's a position that McClellan probably just has open from like you you said anybody at training camp I mean, whether it be. Grunstrom, whether it be Fagimo, whether it be Akil Thomas, Alex Turcotte. I mean, I, I can see any of those players just having a really good training camp, a really solid preseason, and taking that spot. And you could say the same thing for that fourth-line spot that we're talking about. We're probably penciling in with Grunstrom. I feel like those are the two spots yeah. in this lineup that are probably the most open. Trevor Luce isn't going anywhere. Uh, Lazat, obviously. Um so, yeah, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of uh, training camp battles that we're we'll up to watch. But in terms of Cali, he's going to have to get all of his goals on the on the power play. That's where a majority oh, of his goals are going to yeah. be coming from, which which is all right. And I don't know if he's going to be looked at to be this even-strength scoring um, beast. But I don't know if he's going to be playing with Phil Deneau and Trevor Moore, which I think he should be playing with. He's played some of the, his best hockey of his career, uh, according to the analytics, with those two. Mm-hmm. So 
if you can start those three together, I mean, Phil Deneau is no slouch. He was our number two center for a reason. And you pair him with Trevor Moore, if they can find that explosiveness to pair with a, a shooter like Kalia, man, yep. I mean. Uh, yeah, I I I I like that idea too. It's just because of how good Dano is and how good Moore is. Like I almost think they could prop up almost anybody. So it's like you could like if there's a way to um, if you move Arvidsson up with with our hypothetical Dubois and Fiala, like I think you could have uh, Dano and Moore almost. Um, you know, ha- take take a young player under their wing, if you will, yeah. and that, I bet that line does perfectly fine because more or less they're matched up against the other team's third line. It's not as if you're putting a Figimo on line two; you're putting them with, in theory, Dano and more on a third line. And again, I you have a more established NHL player in Kaliev than Figimo is with Lazat, and like you said, probably Trevor Lewis is in that mix. So, I mean, that's just that's just deep. And there's threats top to bottom. I mean, even if it is a Fagimo and a young player, pick pick any young player, right? Or, or even pick Grunstrom, it's in the mix, say on that on that third line. Like that's still going to be an effective third line. And a and a third line that's probably going to live in the offensive zone. Um, with the way Deneau and Moore drive play. Like I, the more I'm talking about this, maybe I am kind of penciling Kaliev in next to Lazat because I <laughs> It's like a, I, I just feel like that could be a dominant fourth line. And when you can have a mismatch on all four lines, man, I, as a coach, I think that's, I love that. Well, Cal, yeah, Caliab, Lozat, and Lemieux were so good together. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I'd love to see, I'd love to see Alex Turcotte come into training camp and just seize mm-hmm. that middle six spot that we're talking about with Deneau and more. I, Talk about a line that would buzz. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've seen Turcotte during his, healthy days with, with Ontario when he's playing up to his game. He's one of the best players on the ice in terms of just motor around the, the, the ice uh, puck possession, constantly hounding the puck carrier. And those are all the same kind of characteristics that you kind of see from Dano and more. And if you could have a third player like that, dude, that's going to be a coursey coursey beast uh, yeah. of a line. I, I want to look at the, the, the theoretical second line here and, and could they be, our best offensive line. And you could theoretically see three guys get 25 plus goals in Victor Arvidsson, PLD and, mm-hmm. and Fiala. Is it going to be uh, a, a worse mismatch, <clears throat> so to speak, than our theoretical first line with Kopitar? Is it going to be a line that you see out there to end the game when you need a goal because you have more offensive weapons than, than the first line, obviously the first line, the ceiling of that line, we, as we talked about, it's going to be based on Byfield's progression. But you're looking at the second line here. I mean, Arvidsson had 60 points, and yep. PLD's been right around 60 points, and Fiala was a point-per-game player before he got injured. There's no reason that I don't think that all of them couldn't get 25-plus uh, for that line. So is that going to be the best offensive line that carries us when you need a goal in those games in the last five minutes, you're down by one. Is that the line that you throw out there repeatedly because of the offensive firepower? It absolutely has the potential to be. There's no doubt, especially, again, every every opponent's going to pose different matchups, whether it's a line matchup or a D matchup or whatever it's going to be. But, you, yeah, Randy, you're right. I mean, if that is the line, the hypothetical second line, absolutely. Um, they, they, I think they are all capable – and that can be a very dangerous line. Yeah, and no question about it. It's funny that we, we talk about, like, the more I think about it, we, we talk about this PLD, hypothetical PLD line as, like, the Kings' second line. But if you think about it, and you put Kobitar up against the other team's top line, I'd much rather have Phil Deneau up against another team's second line. And then you can have Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kem Fiala be that just wild card of, a, of an offensive force, like Randon's talking about, go up against a bottom six line, or even like a fourth line of another team when you're playing at home. I mean, that's the, that's that added benefit of you having that other center on the team in Pierre-Luc Dubois is now you don't have to worry about sending out Kapari with somebody else or even Blake mm-hmm. Lazad against bigger type mm-hmm. players because you can have Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's more than capable offensively himself. You pair him with Kevin Fiala, who we all know his offensive reg- regimen. I mean, you could have just this, I don't know, just – 
such a bad match. It creates such a bad matchup for the other team is when you have to defend against Kopitar, have to worry about Phil Deneau shutting down your offensive top offensive line. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, here comes Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kjell too. Yeah, they, they really have that many more options, Russ, for particularly when they're at home or, you know, if they're even if they're on the road or in the opponent ices the puck, you can right away come back with with either the Kopitar line or the Dubois line, which, you know, is just a, a whole other level of, of, of offense than, than what they've been able to bring, uh, I think in, in the past from a, from a depth standpoint. So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I just, and you know, you never know how all this shakes out because again, we we're operating under the assumption that the first line stays intact and that may not stay intact. You just never know. But I think from McClellan, I think he's got a lot of options. I think he's got a lot more flexibility, and I think he's got a lot more quality and depth on this team. Um, and I think I would bet he's he's pretty excited about about starting this season. Looking when as he's coming up with his line combinations and looking at all his various notes on his on his notepad, um, he's I think he's loving what he's the potential that he sees. Shake Master coming in here saying, I'm with you, Russ. I think the PLD third line could cause a real challenge for other teams. I, I think you're, I think a lot of people think of first, second, third line just because we've all played chill and you have to stick lines in there and they get automatic. You know, in the video game, you're automatically getting a certain amount of ice time based on the line that you play. But realistically, you could see this Kings team play the top nine almost equally within, you know, a minute of separation of on ice time. Um, you know, because you can make mismatches. If you need a defensive stop or if you need a change of momentum, get the Corsi line out there with with Dano and, and Trevor Moore. If you need a goal or you need some crazy offensive energy, put the PLD line out there. If you just want a consistent, you know, chance at a snipe and, and, a, and a good face-off, get the Kopitar line out there. And then I think, you know, we're not talking about the bottom line, but then that leaves Grunstrom, Trevor Lewis, you know, Lazat and Kalia kind of all thrown in there, depending on what we end up with. And that's going to be a forceful line to be reckoned with as far as the physicality that and the defensive acumen that they could bring, the, the irritatingness. Um, so I think the mismatches, the Kings are going to be able, or Tom McClellan's going to be able to exploit teams and whatever he sees in the zone. And we should see a higher level of offense. I know the Kings were one of the top offensive teams in the league last year, but um, I don't foresee a reason why that you can't exploit more mismatches with the center depth that they have. I also wouldn't be surprised if late in a game or maybe in certain offensive zone situations, late in a period, um, you know, Dubois has played a little bit of wing in his career. He is a center for the most part, you know, by and large. But again, if you're down a goal or you get a late offensive zone faceoff, the idea of, of Dubois playing up with Kopitar and, and Kempe, for example, I think that's you. I, I could easily see that happen from time to time as well. That you see Dubois loaded up with Kopitar here and there in certain situations. I, I think that's very possible. You get not not a consistent, not a consistent line. Of course, I'm talking like situationally in latent periods, games, whatever it might be. Like like six on five kind of situation. Sure, well, for sure, yeah, for sure yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, you get PLD out there with Kopitar and Kempe. Then you have Dowdy with Brant Clark and, and Jordan Spence is around there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. Hopefully yeah, there's not too many of those situations where we're, we have the, the net pulled. But, yeah, there's definitely that those options that they didn't have before. I mean, it's funny because well, we've talked about, like, I, just kind of thinking about just a few years ago, we were talking about, like, this top six is, like, so bad. When you have – I mean – Alex Iafalo was playing first line or even just at the top six is I always thought about him as being like more of a third line type yep. player on a really good team. Yep. And same thing with Phil Deneau that we talked about. It's like, he, he's more of like a third line center on a really good team. I always kind of compared him to Jared Stahl kind of situation, that type of player on a Stanley cup winning team. And now the Kings have that. And this, yep. I think that's why the anticipation for this season is one of the more highly anticipated seasons for the, for the Kings. I can remember. I mean, even I would say probably going back to the, to the cup years of like maybe 2013 or 2014. Cause I mean, even 2011, 12, they kind of snuck up on us in terms of uh, them being actual Stanley cup uh, contenders, let alone winners. But now that 
they just keep adding and adding, whether it be to no Arvison, then they added Kevin Fiala, and now they've added Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's like now you can almost see that finished product, especially with players like Brant Clark coming and Jordan Spence yep. probably getting a spot. It's like everything's tied together now almost, and there's not really much to tinker with anymore. And it feels like this is the time. Well, what I like too is in the past, I think there were players kind of fighting for spots, but there was a, a, a lot of holes on the lineup that were either unproven or didn't have a ton of NHL games yeah. under their belt. You really didn't know what to expect. And again, you you look at the top, you look at the entire lineup. I mean, Kemp is established at this point. Really, you know, you don't know how produ- how Byfield's production is going to be, but Kaliev has has now played. He's got some NHL games under his belt. Even Anderson Dolan is starting to mix in some games, uh, and I know he's. I don't know that he's much going to be in the mix for this middle six conversation, but you know, I'm sure he will be when we talk about the the, the fourth line in the future. But like, you got a lot of players that are going to be able to fill holes pretty easily because they've been they've been in the NHL, and now. You're waiting on maybe, I think you mentioned Russ, a Turcotte, a Fagimo, somebody like that, that maybe could could pop and, and, and spot in somewhere. But it felt like before you were hoping for kind of like two or three of those guys to do that in your lineup. You were hoping for for Kaliev, Kapari at the time, Turcotte. You know, you're hoping for Byfield is like you're, you know, a, a third of your forward group. You were hoping to be kind of this, all these young kids. And that's just tough to, to do, I guess. Um, when you need them to play important roles, when you don't have the quality that that you should have in the in the top part of the lineup, but now they do, and now you know I think it really the balance is the balance is as good as it's been in years. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting the way this team shakes out, and you know Lee kind of agrees with what has been said here. The Kings had, you had three lines play thirteen to fourteen minutes on five on five last year. This year will probably be the same. They're just going to be able to roll continuous waves, and that's when the Kings are at their best. When you just kind of see nothing but nothing but just bang, bang, bang all game long, and it's not one line carrying us. And then when you get to those stretches of the season, when the line, when a certain line is is not playing as well, we're going to have more opportunity for other lines to pick that team up. There's probably going to be less lulls as a whole for the team all season long because of the fact that you can have the two other lines pick you up and, and carry carry a team. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, just I'm just kind of looking at some of the stats in, in terms of Phil Deneau and Pierre-Luc Dubois. They both played – Pierre-Luc Dubois played 18 minutes and 27 seconds average time on ice last year. Phil Deneau was 18 minutes and 20 seconds. So these are two players that are going to be playing a lot of minutes or are used to playing a lot of minutes. So, yeah, that will be something to watch to see how McClellan kind of figures that out. And I, I wonder if we'll see – Pierre-Luc Dubois minutes almost come down a little bit more. Kind of like what we saw at Fiala. He only he didn't really average that much time on ice even per game. You kind of look up and you have three points on only four, 14 or 15 minutes a game. And I wonder if maybe that's why – maybe we'll see McClellan utilize that line in more situationally and not less like, okay, on the fly, let me throw, throw out Deneau or throw out PLD as opposed to maybe throwing out Phil Deneau, who's the more better two-way player. But when you get that offensive zone draw, all right, let me throw out PLD, Kevin Fiala, and Victor Arvidsson. Let's see what happens there. There, So that'll be something to watch with how McClellan distributes that. Yeah, yeah, I like, I like those ideas there. Leap coming with a question. I'm not really sure, Marissa, maybe you know how this is going to shake out. Do you guys have a sense of how the preseason roster is going to be split between Australia and the U.S.? Do you think that they're going to do a mix of veterans and and rookies, or do you think the veterans are going to get a chance for the 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 publicity that would be the Australia games? So that was kind of weird to think about. If So I was thinking about this the other day. The rookie camp, so Australia game, it's Saturday, September 23rd. The rookie face-off is the weekend before. Training camp will probably start like what? I guess the last rookie face-off game is the 18th on Monday. Training camp usually starts on that Wednesday, but if they're playing a game in Australia that Saturday – I don't. I wonder if training camp starts before the rookie faceoff, or they get like some earlier training camp because you're not going to come to training camp on like a Wednesday and they're like, okay, we have a game in Australia that we have to fly so far away to get to. I'm not sure how the roster is going to be split, but I can't imagine them sending too many veterans over to Australia for a, a trip that's probably going to put such a long pause. I feel like on the training camp schedule for them. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> 
flying these days is maybe a little bit easier to endure than it had been in the past. But you're talking about such a long flight, such a long trip that I can't imagine they're going to be sending too many veterans to be like, okay, like now have a long break to kind of adapt yourself back to the U.S. or whatnot. And so it'll be interesting to see because I know it, it'll be tough because they're going to want to obviously hype up this the game and have the, some of the best players going. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I've, I, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I remember when they announced the Australia trip and we talked to McClellan the, the day after the day, whatever, and it almost felt like you can kind of tell there was almost a little bit like, I don't really want to go. Kind of situation. It was kind of like a tough situation you're putting on our team right at the beginning of training camp. But it, it is what it is. I mean, the Kings have done this before. They've gone to China as it is. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But I'm excited. It should be fun. I, I, there's a few of my followers are from Australia, and they're really excited. So uh, I hope the Kings put up a good show and at least take a couple couple of the vets over there. I mean, you have to take Jordan Spence, right? Jordan Spence has to go. It has to. <laughs> uh, one one thing I want to throw out that we 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 didn't mention, just because again, we're kind of we've kind of assumed that maybe Fiala PLD is a duo. You, you know, Fiala um, he he did play with Dino last year, 127 minutes with Dino and Arvidsson. Uh, you know the. 58% expected goals. Like it was a pretty good 127 minutes, which is not by any means like a huge sample. But I just I wouldn't rule out the fact that that you know Fiala could play with Dino too. I mean, it's there, there's so many different combos that that are going to take it take some time to kind of get sorted to see how they all fit together. Um, so that's that's one that could still happen too. You can see you can see a turn uh, turnstile in there in the middle six, depending on how the team's playing. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> what is going on there? So, well, guys, it has been a good show. We're just cruising over that hour mark. Uh, appreciate everybody in the chat here. I think you can always see our articles coming out at hockey under or hockeyroyalty.com. Follow us at hockey underscore royalty at Randall Commando twenty four at NHL Russell and at JW Paterino. We're going to be slowly going through the roster and expectations for next season. Um, you know, the, the team is shaping up to be a lot better. And then hopefully rookie camp and, and or the rookie face off and training camp starts. And we can talk about some real hockey instead of some hypothetical stuff uh, going on That'd here. Nice. Um, so, but appreciate <laughs> you guys coming in. Uh, you always have, have been uh, a loyal fan base. We appreciate you coming in here in the, the, the dead of hockey news and uh, keeping us company. So um, as always on this podcast, go Kings go.